Well, good morning, Putnam City Baptist. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, before we start, I just want to tell you that Jesus is the promise. Isn't that an amazing thing for us to remember that he is the promise? He is the one that has enabled, listen, he's the one that has enabled you to be able to experience grace and mercy and eternity. Guys, what an amazing thing it is for us to sing to that Savior and to remember that it is him that we have any hope whatsoever. So I want to tell you, man, it's such an honor to be here. As Bill said, I grew up at Putnam City Baptist Church, a different location, but this body of believers means a lot to me because it has impacted my life, and I think that's an amazing thing to be able to, for me to come back and be able to see what Putnam City is like now and to be able to have this opportunity to speak to you. Man, I'm so pumped and excited to be right here with you, and there's no other place that I'd like to be right here this morning than at my home church talking to you about the amazing grace of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. For us, I, I tell you what, guys, we ought to celebrate Jesus every day, not just Sunday, okay? And that is something that He has allowed us to do because of His great sacrifice for us. This morning, we're going to be in First Peter here in just a moment, but I want you to hear uh, this incredible vision, okay? Know God, become family, impact the world. Does that sound familiar? Boy, it ought to. If it doesn't sound familiar to you, then you need to start listening a little bit more to Bill. Okay, that's the vision of Putnam City Baptist Church. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal vision. As a matter of fact, it's even represented in the three pillars right here. You understand that, right? Know God, become family, impact the world. That resonates with me, resonates with my heart. For the past four years, I have been speaking a similar vision into a group of people. And this is my vision that I've been talking about, knowing Jesus, making him known. All right, there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more important than that. As a matter of fact, I would say that that is ultimately the mandate for us as believers, it is the commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28. Before he left this earth, he said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Our goal, our mission is to impact the world. Everything that we are to be about is to make an impact on a world. But I want you to understand something. That's becoming a little bit more difficult these days, isn't it? I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture is changing. Uh, and a culture always changes, but at this point, our culture is changing to the degree that it seems as if the world, at least the United States, because that's what we're familiar with, is becoming more and more dark. Right? As a matter of fact, there was a Barna poll that came out a week or so ago that said that in America, 81% of the people believe in God. We might say, oh wow, 81%, that's great, but you realize that before that it was 86, 87%. It's moving in the wrong direction. You know what that means? It means that the world and our culture and our uh, United States of America and in our state, it's not just affecting the other states and not us. It affects our state as well. Our culture is getting darker. But I want you to know something. It is in the darkest night that light shines the brightest. And that's what we need to remember. That's what we need to understand, that we as believers have the ability to impact a dark world with hope. If you have hope, and we do have hope through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he has enabled us to experience. You know, Peter in his letter here, his whole letter is basically written to a group of believers who are suffering to tell them you can impact the world even in your suffering, even in suffering. Now, there's a story of a guy who uh, was a robber. He broke into a house. He was shining the flashlight around, looking what he wanted to steal. And then all of a sudden he hears a voice. The voice says, Jesus is watching you. 
he shuts his flashlight off and he gets real quiet and he's still and he's thinking what in the world's going on who was that and he doesn't hear anything else and he thinks okay I'm just hearing things so he turns the light back on he looks around and he he starts to unhook the tv so he can take it with him and he hears again this voice Jesus is watching you he freaks out again he shines the light frantically and then over in the corner he shines the light on Bill's turtle that he has in his office no I'm just kidding it was a parrot okay he shines the light on a parrot and, and he says did you say that and he says yes I'm just trying to warn you that Jesus is watching you and so the, the guy the guy says oh who in the world are you and he said Moses and he said what kind of a person names a parrot Moses the parrot says, the same kind of a person that names a Rottweiler, Jesus. <laughs> that man's about to experience some suffering, right? Okay, he was going to endure some very difficult pain in his life. Now, all, all kidding aside, suffering is real, isn't it? Suffering happens in our life. Suffering comes when we don't expect it, when we don't want it. Suffering's all about life. That's just part of life because we live in a sinful world. But I want you to understand that even in our suffering, we can impact the world. We can shine the light of Christ. We can help people see our hope. And that's the whole reason that Peter is writing this incredible letter for us to remember that even in our suffering, we can impact the world in such a way that people will see Jesus in light of us. So it's important for us to remember that our suffering can actually be an avenue to show people Jesus. Because in the darkest night, the light shines the brightest. It's important for us to remember. If you've got your copy of the scripture, you can open up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. I want you to hear this word. It's such an amazing, powerful text, as all scripture is. But I want you to hear this. It says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What a beautiful last statement that is, that we have hope based upon who Jesus is and what Jesus did. But I think background is important in this particular book. You see, these people were living through one of the most horrendous, heinous, uh, uh, evil men that ever walked the face of this planet. His name was Nero. Emperor Nero was a terrible man. As a matter of fact, I think that he was halfway insane or demon-possessed, one or the other. And this particular man, he did all kinds of horrible things. One of the things that he did is he decided that he desired to create a Rome that would reflect him. Therefore, he set the city ablaze. He torched the city so that it would burn down so he could rebuild it. And it says, and you've probably heard this, that uh, he stood on his hill watching it playing the fiddle. Played the fiddle while Rome burned. That's the phrase that we hear oftentimes. And if that weren't bad enough, because he was getting a lot of heat himself for doing this, people expected that he had done this. He decided because of his hatred for Christians and he needed a scapegoat, he blamed Christians. You know what happened at that point? All kinds of persecution. Persecution broke out on the church at that point to the point where people were experiencing uh, not just belittlement and slander and losing their jobs, but they began to experience beatings and worse. Death, martyrdom. 
This man had put so much suffering on these particular Christians, these particular men and women that were trying to follow after Christ, that they were experiencing something horrible. But it was in that context that Peter says, impact the world. Isn't that incredible? Typically, whenever we experience suffering, what do we want to do? We want to shrink back. We want people to tell us it's going to be okay. We want people to to try to console us. Peter says, hey, you've got an opportunity right here, right now to tell people about Jesus. Be different than the world and impact the world because that's what they need. I, I believe that we are more like Rome and becoming more and more like Rome in the United States than ever before in our values and some of the things that people celebrate today. We celebrate some things that we would have never thought we would celebrate 20 years ago. And we're not being judgmental. We're saying, listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we cannot celebrate what the culture celebrates. But Rome celebrated things just like that. And we, at this point, are dealing with darkness in our culture, darkness in our society. And it's in that context we must understand in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a dark generation, we can know God and impact the world. We can know God and impact the world. So I want you to think about this with me. A a few points, just looking at the vision of Putnam City Baptist Church. Number one is that we should know God. That should be our goal, our hope, everything. We've been saved for that fact. As a matter of fact, you can look at uh, John chapter 17, verse 3. And it says, this is eternal life, that you would, what? Know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. You need to realize that the whole purpose of your life is to know God. That's why Jesus died. That's what we're all about. And so we must know God, but I want you to understand there's great blessing and benefits to that. And one of those great blessing and benefits is that knowing God drives out fear, which is an amazing thing, right? We experience fear all the time in our life in different ways, in different aspects. These people, and more so in our lives, are going to experience fear because the culture is pushing against us. The culture is going to try to get us to be quiet, to, to shrink away. Peter tells those people, and in turn us, don't fear them. Matter of fact, he says very clearly, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You realize this literally means don't fear their fear, or don't fear their intimidation. Isn't that incredible? Paul says, man, look at fear in the face. Excuse me, Peter says, look at fear in the face, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You walk away knowing that you don't have to be afraid. Why can he say that? How can he say that? Because of who we serve. You guys, we need to understand that we have a God that's bigger than anything else in this world. And we need to understand that there is nothing or no one who can harm us. That's what Peter says. Who is there to harm you? You think, wait a second, I've had people harm me. No, 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 no. You've had people hurt you, but you haven't had people harm you. See, here's the reality. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and only if you place your faith in him, then if you die on this earth, guess what happens? You go to heaven. Nobody can harm you. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can do anything at that point, again, to mess with you because you're in the hands of God. Isn't that awesome? That's the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the blessing that we get to experience. They may hurt us. Warren Wiersbe says this. Our enemies might hurt us, but they cannot harm us. Why? Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Peter's point is this. You don't have to fear because God's got you. Isn't that awesome? And can I tell you that we all need reminders of that, including me? I need a reminder at times for people to say, hey, man, God's got this. 
God's got you. Guys, we, when we know God, God's got us in his hand. And therefore, we have the ability to experience this fear being driven from our lives because we know who he is. And so I think it's important for us to do a couple of things knowing this reality and knowing this truth. We need to remind ourselves of scripture. Here's a great phrase that I've heard in the past, and I love this, and I've kept it in my memory for a long time because it's a powerful phrase. Sometimes we need to quit listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. You know that? Sometimes we need to quit listening to our, our negativity and, and the, the, the ho-hum attitude and the, and the different things that come and the influences that come and say, no, 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 I'm going to talk to myself. And you know how we are to talk to ourselves? With Scripture. God says, God says, we ought to tell ourselves Scripture. We ought to preach to ourselves often to remind ourselves that Jesus is with us in all things and that we need to walk in Jesus. And that's the other thing that we ought to do, not only remind ourselves of truth, but we ought to draw near to the Father. We ought to draw near to the Father. Listen, whenever suffering comes, you know what happens oftentimes? We turn our emotions off. We turn uh, other people off. We don't want anything to do with anyone. And so we just kind of sit back and shrink back. And we don't even pursue God. Sometimes when we are hurt the most, we just kind of sit there and have a pity party. We ought to run to God at that point. We ought to draw to God at that point. The world, listen to me, the world needs us as believers to draw near to God. They need for us to, to have Jesus in us so that he beams brightly out of us. Knowing God provides the very thing we need, and that is himself. So knowing God is not only drives out fear, but knowing God comes through putting him first. You know that? That's, that's an easy way to think about it. Knowing God comes through putting him first. There's two elements to that. Number one, preoccupation. Okay, you know what preoccupation is? It means you can't get something off your mind. It means it's always on the brain. Let me give you an illustration. Do you remember the first time that you met your wife or your husband? Do you remember that? Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was three years ago. Whatever it is. You remember the first time that you saw them? You couldn't get them off your brain, could you? Man, you, you intentionally thought about them. But check this out. You unintentionally thought about them. You didn't have to have anybody say, hey, have you thought about that person? I can't get him off my brain. That's preoccupation. You understand that that's how we ought to be with Christ? He ought to be a preoccupation with us so that we live in such a way to uh, have everything that we do in life be filtered in who he is in us. But I want you to know that there are all kinds of things seeking to rob your preoccupation of Jesus. Anybody? Okay. Social media, radio, politics, friends, problems, work, all of this stuff is trying to rob you of your preoccupation of Jesus. Therefore, we ought to intentionally say no. And we ought to have a time that we set our eyes upon Christ and follow after who he is. The other thing that we ought to do besides preoccupation is allow no rivals. Allow no rivals. You know what Peter says? In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Honor him. We, we, we are to have that preoccupation with honor. But you know what holy means? We sing about this to a degree. You know what holy means? Oftentimes we look at the idea of holy and we think, oh, oh it means pure. It means clean. That's true, but it means so much more than that. You realize that the idea of holiness means that there is nothing like it? For instance, uh, and I heard this a long time ago, but uh, what is more like Jesus, an angel or a piece of amoeba that floats around in a dirty pond? Most people would say, well, 
an angel, that's not true. Here's the truth. Neither one of them are like Jesus. Neither one of them are like God. Why? Because God by himself is unique unto himself. There's nothing like God. And we ought to see that and realize that this idea of holiness is, hey, I'm going to set him apart and I'm going to make him distinct and unique in my life. Here's, here's the problem I think we do as Christians. I think we more so have Jesus as a hobby rather than a preoccupation. And that's where we get in trouble. We need to have Jesus as our preoccupation, that no one rivals Jesus, that there's nothing that gets in the way of Jesus. So I ought to ask you, here's a question that you ought to think about for yourself, and you ought to ask yourself, is there anything in my life that gets in the way of me following Jesus? Is there anything in my life that gets in the way of him being first place in my life? And if it is, you ought to cut it down. You may even have to remove it completely, because nothing should ever rival who Jesus is because there's no one like Jesus. And so we must learn to tune out the distractions. We must learn to be intentional on what and who we listen to. Y'all, some of you guys have some influences in your life that you ought to tune out and turn off. Okay, I don't know what they are. They may be movies. They may be certain kinds of music. They may be all kinds of situations that you're listening to, jokes that you shouldn't listen to. You ought to learn to tune those out and turn them off in your life because we are children of the king and we ought not to have those things in our life we ought to make him distinct in who we are but i want you to understand knowing god prepares you to proclaim knowing god prepares you to proclaim the more that you pursue god the more that you experience life in god you know what happens when you put more of god in you more of him comes out that's right brother more of him comes out and so what we have is when we fill our lives with jesus he will naturally overflow i think sometimes we get so full of the world we don't have any room for Jesus. And so we've got to change that in our lives to make sure we are putting more of him. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor years and years ago, the last time I was a youth pastor, I, I, I've never been a big reader, okay? I, I had to force myself to read. And so uh, I didn't like reading books. It was boring, right, all that. And so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself read. And so I listed out about 10, 15 books, and, and I started reading books. And I started hammering out these different books about Christ and how Christ changed us and all these different things that I would read. And so one day, I'll never forget, my pastor comes to me and says, what are you doing in your life different? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, dude, something's different with you. And I go, bad? And he goes, no, 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 this is good. I mean, something, something obviously is different in your life. There, there's just an exuberance. There's just a, a change in you. What's going on? I said, well, I'm reading more books. And he goes, that's it. You're putting more Jesus in you. You guys understand, when you put more Jesus, he will naturally come out. So knowing God will naturally allow him to come out into your life, and that is ultimately the goal. And so we must know God. But we also impact the world because we know God. We must impact the world because we know God. The, the world desires not even knowing that they need it. And, and I've said this before and oftentimes in different situations, but you realize that the world looks at believers and they think that we're weird. And that's okay. They look at us and they're offended by us. And they ought to be if we're following Jesus. Because light is always offensive to darkness. But can I tell you that even though they may be offended by us, they'll naturally be drawn to us. Like a moth to a flame. And so we ought to impact the world because we know God so much. But I want you to see that what Peter shows us is that showing the world your hope is essential. He says there must be a reason for your hope. A reason for your hope. First of all, there's got to be a hope to begin with. 
right? There's got to be a hope that is evident, a hope that is displayed, a hope that is, that is clearly perceived in your life. We ought to know God so much that there is a natural hope. I want to ask you a question that I think uh, will step on your toes because it steps on my toes, but an important question for all Christians. And that question is this. You should ask yourself, is my life different from the world? Or you could ask it another way. Is my life as a believer different than my neighbor who is a non-believer? You guys hear that? We ought to ask ourselves that question. Is my life as a believer in Jesus Christ evidently different than my neighbor who doesn't know Christ? Or do they see me and think, oh, that's just another guy? You understand that we have the ability to impact the world by showing the world we're different. Okay, not that we strive to, but it's a natural process. As we see, when we know God, naturally he will come out so that we have the ability to display who he is. And so we ought to have a life so different that people naturally notice. You have to have a hope in order to defend your hope. That's important for us to understand. And, and what is hope? Hope is not one of those things that we see oftentimes that, oh, I, I wish that I would get this for Christmas or whatever it is. That's not Christian hope. You know what Christian hope is? It is an eager expectation of things you know will come. And so you know what our hope is? Jesus is coming for me. And if you expect him to come for you, does it change the way you live? Boy, it ought to, shouldn't it? I think sometimes we don't have that hope. See, that's the hope he's talking about. They're suffering. They're dealing with pain. And yet they still have hope. Oh, I know he's coming. And I'm ready. And I'm excited. And people look and dude, you're suffering. We're beating you. And you still have hope? Gosh, there's so many stories I could tell you on this, but I don't have time. Bill said, keep it to 30 minutes. Doggone it, Bill. Okay. But when we look at this idea of showing your hope, there's a guy uh, uh, from the history you probably have heard, at least the name, St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi had a saying that a lot of people have picked up, and this was attributed to him, and it may, may or not have been. But this is what he said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. We like that. We're like, oh, yes, I like that. He's half right. He's half right. Okay? He's half right because we ought to have the gospel evident in our hearts and in our lives so that people see it. That, that ought to be the case for us. But what we need to understand is the other half is that we must explain to the world our hope. Because Paul tells us the other half of that equation in Romans 10, 17. He says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You know what that means? If people are going to experience salvation, they have to hear about Jesus. So not only should they see a difference in us, they should hear about the difference of who we know. We ought to be able to explain it. We ought to be able to express it. Peter says, make a defense. All right, this is a Greek word, apologia. Right, we hear that word like apology. Yeah, that's right. That's where we get our word apology from. We hear that word and we think, well, that's strange. Is Peter telling us that we are to apologize for our faith? No. This word apology, it means be ready and able to make a very clear answer to who you are, what you believe, and why you believe it. Y'all, oftentimes people sitting in the pews say, hey, man, I just come to church and enjoy it. But that's not what the Bible says that you're to do. The Bible says that you are to be ready to speak and proclaim because they see your hope. That's what Peter's saying. Listen, you ought to be able to make a defense so that people can experience salvation in, who, in your God and your great Savior. And so we've got to be able to give that clear answer. So the first question that you ought to ask yourself, is your hope visible to other people? 
And guys, I'm not getting on you. I, I know that that's something that we all ought to ask ourselves, right? We all ought to be at that place that we think, okay, is my hope visible? Okay, if it's not visible, what's getting in the way? We, we ought to ask ourselves those types of questions so that we can fulfill this mandate that we heard in Matthew 28. Our goal is not ultimately to win arguments, but to win people to Christ. And part of making a defense is telling the truth. And I want to tell you that people don't like to hear the truth these days. Matter of fact, they've tried to say there is no truth. And a, a Christian cannot accept that. We know there's truth. There's absolute truth. This is the truth. And we must stand upon this truth. And we must live this truth. And we must declare this truth in such a way that people can hear it clearly. Now, in saying that, I want you to understand that they won't like it. But they need it. And ultimately, they really want it. They really do. Because they're desiring something to fulfill their hearts that they can't find in the world. We have that truth. We must be able to speak it clearly. But Peter also says that we must love the world through our hope. Love the world through our hope. He clearly says in all of this, we are to do it in gentleness. You know what that's all about? Listen, I'm a truth guy. People that know me, they know that I'm black and white. Okay, I'm, I'm an analytical dude, a black and white. I, I want to see this is this way, this is this way, there's nothing in between. Okay, I, I'm that kind of guy. Uh, and so that can be an abrasive person if you're not careful. What I've learned in my life is that I've got to become a person of grace and seeking that truth. I've got to be a person of grace. That's what Peter says. You can declare the truth, but you better do it in love. Okay? You better do it in love so that they are willing to receive it. But I want you to see that I skipped the middle section of that vision. Become family. Become family. That's essential. And I think a lot of churches miss that. I think a lot of churches miss out on that. I think a lot of churches really um, don't experience what that's really all about. But I want you to see in verse 18, look at this beautiful verse. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Look at this, that he might bring us to God. Peter didn't say so that he might bring me to God. And, and I know that our walk in Christ, our relationship with Christ is personal, okay? It's personal, but that doesn't mean it's uh, individual. It means it's meant for us to become family. Jesus died that we might experience life with one another. Here, here's a phrase that my wife and I desire to see implemented in a powerful way in churches. Learning to live life with one another. Y'all, you understand that um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and that person sitting next to you has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are your brother or your sister, and you will live with them for eternity. And some of you are like, oh, no, not that person. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, yes, that person. That's why Paul had to tell us, bear with one another in love, okay? But I want you to know that we have the ability because of what Jesus did to look at one another and say, you and I belong together in the same family. Isn't that cool? And because of that, we need to learn now, here and now. Guys, I'm telling you, the, the world, if they would see you and I living as a family, they'd say, what's up with you guys? You actually like each other? You actually like being around each other? Dude, I can't wait to see my family. What do you mean your family? They, they just go to church with you. No, 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 no. Jesus died so that we would be family. Guys, that's how we need to see each other. Uh, not, not that stuff of, hey, yeah, I'm going to go see so-and-so at church. I'm going to go see my family. 
That's how we ought to live. That's how we ought to see this group of life. But I want you to know that it is when we learn to live together as a church that we will impact one another and encourage each other to impact the world. I told you that I grew up in this church. I want you to understand that I grew up going to vacation Bible school, Putnam City Baptist Church. I got to sit and listen to people, adults, who were crazy enough to spend a week with little kids. I'm, I'm like, man, I'll hang out with the adults, right? Okay, but these people, I, lo- I love God, and I love these kiddos. I want them to hear Jesus. I was impacted by those people. I don't know their names, but I was impacted by those people. I was impacted by Sunday school teachers. And I, and I see some faces in here. We were in Sunday school class together. Uh, we got to sit through uh, Joe and Carolyn Shirley and uh, taste and see that the Lord is good and the dog food. Oh, yeah, I remember all of that. But those people impacted my life. They, they, they poured into me, and they poured into my classmates so that we would see Jesus in them and so that we would experience life in Christ. My first youth pastor here was a guy named Jason Gilbo. A uh, funny story about that is we were going to Falls Creek. Me and my best friend decided that we were going to ride with Jason in the U-Haul. And he pulls out of the parking lot with us getting into the, the uh, U-Haul and the door's still open. My mom's freaking out thinking we're going to die. And she probably should have freaked out at that point. Uh, but it was at that camp that I heard him tell the gospel of Jesus Christ and share with us what it meant to have faith. He impacted my life. There was a man named Joe. Big man. I don't remember his last name. But his hands were twice as big as mine. He sat with me in the back of that Falls Creek cabin, and he shared with me again the gospel, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He impacted my life. He impacted who I am. I was able to sit in Bill's youth group, and yes, I survived, okay? But I can tell you that that man invested in my life. I'll I'll never forget sitting in Windermere, confessing sin to him that I was in at that point, and him praying with me and helping me and guiding me at that point. He impacted my life. A man named John Freem, who was the youth pastor after Bill, who helped lead me and helped me and in, in fostering me a desire to pursue Christ, but also who lived life with me and stood in my living room the day my brother died and hugged me and loved on me, preached my brother's funeral, married my wife and I. Guys, he impacted my life. I stand here today who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ because Putnam City Baptist Church impacted my life. You all have the ability, whether you realize it or not, to impact a life in such a way that they would go and impact other lives and other lives and other lives. Y'all, that's what the church is about. That's what Peter is telling us. We ought to live in such a way as a family, knowing God, so that we can declare the truth of Jesus Christ and impact this crazy, weird, dark world. But you have to be a part of the family of God to know God and impact the world. Can I ask you a question this morning as we close out? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you authentically placed your faith in him to say, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me of my sins? Let me explain that to you. You're a sinner. Well, yeah, you're a sinner. Dirty, rotten, little sinner. Every single one of you in this room. So you're in good company because I'm one too. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life having no sin whatsoever. Then they put him on the cross for it. They whipped him, put a crown of thorns on him, and they nailed him to a cross. That wasn't the worst part. 
because God poured out his wrath upon Jesus because my sin sat upon his shoulders. Because your sin sat upon his shoulders. Jesus died that day because of me, because of you. And they put him in a tomb. Here's the great news, guys. He rose from the dead. He's alive today because he conquered death. He conquered sin. And listen, if you would place your faith in Jesus, and what that means is, Jesus, I trust you because of who you are and what you've done. I believe in who you are, but I trust you to forgive me. Jesus, would you forgive me for my sins? I've blown it, and I can't get to heaven. I can't get to God without you. Would you do it in me and for me and through me? That's what it means to place your faith in Jesus. Have you done that? If you haven't, there's not a lot of reason to come into a room like this and sing songs the way that we do and listen to some guy ramble on for 30 minutes. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Listen, I believe that any time that we listen to the Word of God, we ought to respond somehow, some form, some way. Whatever that looks like is different for different people, but you ought to be at a place in your life that you hear the preaching of the truth of the Word of God and it convicts you to the point that you say, okay, God, what must I do? Y'all, what must you do? That's up to you. And that's up to what God is calling you to do at this moment. Maybe you would say, Drew, I've never heard the gospel explained quite like that. I'm new here. I, I just started coming because a friend invited me. But that's what I need, Drew. I need forgiveness. That's what I want. And maybe in just a moment as we begin to sing, you need to come forward and talk to one of the staff that will be up front in just a moment. You might say, Drew, I love the idea of family. I love the idea of living life together. This is, this is the place that I want to call my family. Maybe you need to come forward and say to one of these staff members, I want to join this church. This is where I want to be. It might be that you would come forward and say, I just need to pray with somebody. I'm brokenhearted. I'm hurt. I need to pray. And it might even be that you would say, I'm burdened for the world around me. I'm burdened for my neighbor. Maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to grab somebody right next to you and just simply pray for that lost neighbor. Whatever it is that God is prompting you to do, would you do it? Would you respond in a way that would honor him and bless you? Would you all stand to your feet? Alex is going to come. He's going to sing for us here and lead us in a bit of worship. But I want you to respond as we sing. Don't you stop and don't you just turn off. You respond as God has called you to respond.